You know, you can tell a lot about somebody by the music that they listen to. By the music they enjoy, by the music they think about, by the music that gets stuck in your head. So what I want to do this morning as we kind of get started, I want to kind of do an experiment and I want you to participate in it. So I need you to kind of pair off, be around with a couple of people, three people kind of around you. And you're going to think through some music questions, all right? This is not trivia, this is your own kind of music stuff. But I want you to think of, I'm going to give you specific situations, and I want you to think of what is your go-to song or artist in that situation, all right? You understand what I'm talking about? Because you're just kind of looking at me, all right? I need to see some movement, like you're getting ready, like you're pairing up. You got it, all right? So here you go, first of all, all right? What's your go-to song or artist when you are just getting up in the morning and you need something to kind of get you energized, all right? So that wake-up song, that morning song, maybe if you got one of those things that wakes you up to music, what do you have there to wake you up, all right? Either our youth don't listen to music or they're afraid to share with one another. All right, here's the second one, all right? It's uh, late in the afternoon. You've decided you're going to work out. Now, I know for some of you that's just an astonishing reality. Let's imagine that's the case, all right? You're going to work out, so you're going to do some exercise. What's that, what's that song or that artist or that group that's going to get you going in the workout? What's your workout go-to song? All right? Now let's imagine for a minute that you've had a bad day. I mean, it started off bad, it got worse, and then it escalated from there. It's a bad day, and you're getting in the car at the end of the day, and you've got to drive to go from your place back home, and you're hoping that it'll just clear it all out before you get home, before you get home to supper and dishes and yard work and all that. You're hoping to kind of clear the mechanism, all right? So what's your go-to song there? You just had a bad day, you got to drive home, you got to get something going, you're trying to lighten the mood. What's your go-to song there, artist? All right, two more. What, next to last one, you've just found out some unbelievably great news. It's joy, it's, it's dance party time, all right? You're having you're just great time, you're in the house, you've, you've heard some great news, you just want something to express the joy that is happening in your life. Alright, what do you go to? Alright, last one. You're getting in the car and you got a five hour road trip ahead of you. Alright? So what album do you have? Maybe you're in the youth group and you're driving for the next 48 hours or whatever it is. What's on the, what's on the playlist for the road trip? Alright? Alright, so here's the thing. You can learn a lot about people by the music they listen to, right? Some of you spouses already knew some things, but the music like, ooh, I didn't know that or whatever. I mean, I learned last night that Randy Brooks is such a fan of fun and that song Carry On that he couldn't believe it, right? Maybe not. <laughs> Something about you damaging his ears, all right? So you can learn a lot about people. And the reason that I wanted to bring that up is because I'm going to this morning, we're going to preach what is perhaps the most ambitious sermon I've ever preached. Okay, Last week we covered the entire tabernacle in one. That's only 50 chapters of the Bible, alright? Today we're going to cover the book of Psalms. Alright? 
So I'm just going to start reading Psalm 1. Y'all just follow me to Psalm 150. How do we? Maybe not. All right. Psalms is a fascinating book. Abraham Lincoln said that he could find something in Psalms for every day of the year that would be important to him on that day. Martin Luther said that the book of Psalms is the entire Bible condensed into one book. It's the longest book in Scripture. How many chapters in there? 150, right? It has the longest chapter in Scripture. It has the shortest chapter in Scripture. It's the one that if you just open the Bible to the middle, it falls out somewhere in Psalms. It's one of the most beloved passages or books of Scripture for anybody. I mean, outside the church, people love the Psalms. But my question is, because what were the Psalms? What were their intention? What were they used for originally? Worship. They were songs. It is poetry because what was there originally was this was the songbook, the hymnal. This was the radio station of the early church. Before that even, to the tabernacle of the Jews. These were the things that would have been on their heart and their mind. One thing I think is interesting, that of course it was written at a time where they didn't write music out, but there's no music in Psalms, it's just the lyrics. And what we have in Psalms is a collection of things that teach us important understandings about worship. And as I was thinking through it today, or this week, as we were talking about, well, what is worship from the Old Testament, this old-time religion? What does that look like, and how does it translate today? And we started weeks ago with about our own shortcomings, and our biggest obstacle is us. And then talking about the idolatry that happens in our lives, and last week, the, the path that God put out for us to enter into His presence. When I get to the book of Psalms, another aspect of what worship ought to look like comes forth. Now, if there's one word that I would use to describe the entire 150 chapter book of Psalms, it is the word passion. Who is the author most associated with Psalms? David, right? Let me ask you, was David a passionate man? Yeah, absolutely. He was reactionary. He... uh didn't have self-control always. He was impulsive. Have you ever had an impulsive child? Grandchild? Yeah. Some of you aren't raising your hands and you did. You just don't want to make them feel bad, alright? Any of you ever been impulsive? Yeah. Not really thinking through all the consequences? You know, I think I've mentioned this before. There's those studies out now that shows that, um, by the way, teenagers... Um, the part of the brain that determines risk, assessment, and consequences of action turns off at about 13 and reignites about 25. All right? If you're a guy, it doesn't reignite to almost 30. All right? So, some of you are like 42, still not there. All right? Okay? That impulsiveness is just there. It just happens. You don't think. You just... Ah, well, think about David, all right? How was he impulsive? Where was he impulsive? Somebody this morning mentioned Goliath. That's kind of an impulsive deal, isn't it? I mean, nobody else will fight him, but David walks up and says, I'll go. Let me out there, right? What about his biggest sin? What was that? Bathsheba, right? Sitting out there, he sees her, he says, I want to go get her, bring her to me. Uh-oh, I just sinned, let's just go kill her husband. I mean, just impulsive. 
What about in his worship? Do you think he was passionate in his worship? Yeah. Any evidence of that? He danced, right? How did he dance, Bill? Wildly. Made his wife a little upset, right? Yeah, he, he, they go, they win this huge military battle. They get the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant last week. They get the Ark of the Covenant so God's presence is brought back to Israel. He brings it, and while they're bringing it down the street, David is dancing in the street, and it depends on how you interpret it, either in his underwear or his nothing. Hadn't seen that in worship lately, right? We are not moving that principle to the new... Okay. No ideas, no ideas. But he is passionate. In fact, he gets back to the house and he gets upstairs and his wife is, do you know what you just did? I, I was watching out the window. You, you have embarrassed all of us. You know what David says? I will become, it's one of my favorite, verse, one of my favorite quotes in all of Scripture, I will become even more undignified in order to praise my Lord. That's passion, right? I'll become more indignified than dancing naked in the street. There ain't a lot of places to go after that. Amen? He was passionate about his worship. When we get to the book of Psalms, we see this passion. C.S. Lewis wrote that one of the things he loves about the Psalms is it gives a glimpse into the passion of what David was experiencing when he worshipped before the Lord that day. That it reminds him that worship isn't about the come and sit and fold your arms and sit and listen and be attentive and never speak and never do and never talk. Just be. That that's not what worship is about. That there is a passion and a joy in worship. Do you know that I have figured out in my long life that people are passionate about what's important to them. Right? If you think something's important, you are passionate about it. You want to rile somebody up, you say something bad about something they love. You want to get in a good conversation, you start talking about something they love and the conversation just escalates. You ever met somebody and you figure out in the first few minutes of talking that y'all have a similar passion and before long the conversation is just going, this is great, this is awesome, this is wow, I can't believe this. this is..." And before long you're like, wow, how have we not known each other before? You're passionate about it. People are passionate about all kinds of stuff. In your own life, you could probably identify the things you're passionate about right away. Well, I love this or I like that. You know, uh, people are passionate about their sports stuff. I kind of mentioned this this morning, but I mean, there are people that you can tell things are important to about how passionate they are. Think about, I mean, we have several in our church that are passionate, you know, not maybe the wisest choice, but they're passionate about Kentucky basketball. Right? And they can tell you the players on this year's rosters and next year's roster and who they're recruiting and what their recruits are doing and how many points the recruit that they have coming in next year scored last week and how many points the junior high kid that Calipari has targeted as the next great thing in 2030 is going to be. All that, you know, they've got all that down. When the TV schedule is on, when they're playing, who they're playing, why I can't believe why they can't play there, why they're playing in this one. They buy TV packages that are about $15 more than they should be just so they can get two extra games games during the regular season of college basketball. That is lunacy or passion. Right? 
I remember having a conversation with a guy that used to be on staff here that's a huge Kentucky fan that goes by coat. And uh, <laughs> he was here, and I think it was Jeff and I having this conversation. And he, he found out for the first time there was an ESPN UHD. And Kentucky played three games on there that year. I gotta get it. How do I get that? I've gotta call, my cable company doesn't have it. I gotta switch cable companies. Ridiculous. But it showed a passion. Right? And somehow, we can handle the things of God with such lack of emotion. The people in Psalms that wrote Psalms, it wasn't all Dave, there's Asaph, there are other writers. The one thing you have to do is you have to read it with passion. We read the Psalms and sometimes we read it like we would imagine it being in worship. And so we read it very monotone and bland. When you read Psalms, you need to read it imagining you are David dancing in the street. Because that's how the people interpreted it. Three things I want you to see that they were passionate about that ought to leak into our worship. And the first thing is this. They were passionate about truth. Our worship should be passionate about truth. One of the things you see over and over and over and over and over again in the Psalms is this declaration of who God is and what He has done for us. Over and over, the truth of the glory and the might and the power of God is on display. Just for instance, in Psalm 47 it says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joys. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom we love. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. God is great, He is awesome, He is mighty, He is holy. Let's not forget the truth of who God is of what He has accomplished, of how great and mighty and powerful and awesome He is. The Psalms over and over and over again remind us of the importance of remembering how great God is. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He is healer, protector, provider. He is the God of angel armies. There is none like Him. I read a quote this week that said, God has enemies, but He has no rivals. Because there's no one even close. One day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Yahweh is is king. The Psalms remind us in passionate terms about the truth of who God is, but not just that, but also the truth of what he has done. Psalm 136 just recounts this great story of what God had did and then every phrase follows with his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. Brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love 
endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. Brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. Over and over and over again, it reminds us of our great God and what He has done. The truth is, we are far removed from the Red Sea. I don't know anybody that was there. Right? You know anybody that was there? Well, Moses was there, but I'm talking about still alive. If you know somebody still alive, let me know. We'll get in touch, all right? But God has done just as miraculous of things for us. You know what is amazing about the passion of the people in the book of Psalms? Is they didn't know half of what we know about the depths of the love of God. They didn't know about Jesus. Or the cross. The resurrection. The Holy Spirit. They didn't have a clue as we've been revealed what's coming for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that no eye has seen and no ear has heard that which He has prepared for those that love Him. We have a fuller revelation of God's love and the depths to which He has gone for it, and yet we seem to find it harder to express that. It's passionate about truth. You know, one thing about the Psalms, it's not just passionate about the truth of who God is and what He has done. It's also passionate about the truth of what we feel. You know why sometimes people love the Psalms? It's because David and others get angry. Anybody here ever get angry? Yeah. Get mad, upset. Why is this happening? I don't like it. God, I don't want this to go on. Why does it keep happening? Why do they keep doing so well and I keep faltering? Why is it that I study and study and study and I can't do anything on that test and this heathen over there doesn't even study and they get straight A's? Why is it, Lord, that at work I'm the one that fills out the paperwork the right way all the time. I'm the one that's going by the book and this guy over here is just kind of flitting around doing whatever and he keeps getting the promotion and they keep overlooking me. Lord, how is it? That those people on TV that are loudly disgracing your name are healthy and wealthy and wise. And the diagnosis I just got said I may not have long to live. The psalmist yells at the Lord and says, I don't like it. I hate it. When are you going to do something about it, God? Now here's the interesting thing to see. If you read the psalms, they're not yelling that to each other. They're yelling it to God. What I love about the Psalms is that the truthfulness doesn't just extend to the truth about God and who He is. It also extends to the truth about us and how we can come to the Lord in every way like we are and say, God, here's who I am, here's how I feel, and He is big enough to handle it. If you don't think God's big enough to handle your problem, then you've got an oversized view of your problem or an undersized view of God. He can handle it. He can take it. So take it to Him. And be honest. You know what I love about the Psalms? Almost every Psalm where it's that kind of thing. I mean, there's some nasty stuff in there. Have you read the Psalms? There are these Psalms called imprecatory Psalms. you know what that means? How many of you have used the word imprecatory in the last week? That's what I thought, right? The imprecatory Psalms are these Psalms where they literally call for the death and destruction of other cultures, including sometimes their infants. Can you imagine if we sang that on a Sunday morning here? 
Everybody stand up. Let's join in in singing death to the other countries. God, judge their children. It's in the Psalms, right? And their point is, you are God. Why are you letting this happen? God always handles it. And usually by the end, the writer comes around and says, even in spite of my questions, I'm going to trust you. It's passionate about truth. Secondly, the Psalms are passionate about pursuit. When you read the Psalms, you get this real sense that what people care about is following the Lord. Oh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Better to be the housekeeper at the doorway of the Lord than to be anywhere else for a thousand days. I want you to think about the pretty cool places in your life. He says, better to stand at the doorway to the house of the Lord. To be that close to His presence than to spend a thousand days on a beach or in the mountains. They want that relationship with the Lord. Last week we talked about that the purpose of worship is fellowship with the Lord, God Almighty. And they desire it, they want it, as the deer. I know that there's that old chorus that kind of ruined that for some people because it got repetitive. But the picture is beautiful. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. When's the last time? You are as desperate for the presence of God as a deer who is thirsty is desperate for water. And it's also passionate about that pursuit means following what the Lord says. The very first psalm says, Blessed is he who does not walk in the way of sinners. Sit in the seat of scoffers. Lie down. Get filthy with those that are against the Lord. But he follows the word of the Lord and he is planted like a tree. The longest chapter in Scripture is a chapter about Scripture and our love for it and how it makes our path straight. Psalm 139 that talks about God making us fearfully, wonderfully made gets to the end and says, Lord, let me walk in your way. Let me do what you call me to do. Search me and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Passionate about pursuit. And here's the last thing. Our worship should be passionate about praise. Originally, the Hebrew word for this is not as psalms, is songs of praise. That it is about giving expression to the Lord for what we have seen and known and experienced. Psalm 150 is the last psalm, and it concludes the book in a way I think that summarizes the rest of it. And I want you to see a couple of things in it, and then we're going to be done. Psalm 150, which by the way is the culmination of the last five psalms have all been these praise psalms. Psalm 150, hallelujah, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him for His mighty heavens, Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. 
Praise Him with the trumpet blast. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Praise Him with the flute and strings. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Now we read that sometimes because we are grown up in a tradition of sitting on your hands, not talking, everything quiet, everybody reverent, let's not say anything. Which, by the way, reverence does not equate to silence. We read it. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him. How many times is he going to say praise Him? We've got to get to the end. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. Praise Him. We just read. Instead of thinking of David dancing through the streets in his skivvies, shouting out praise to the Lord. I mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier, and I was actually, I saw this in an article about Instagram. You never know where you're going to find sermon stuff. It quoted C.S. Lewis in this article about Instagram because it said that C.S. Lewis says the reason we have to praise is not to... Um, it's not just because God says praise, praise, praise required, but that our enjoyment and fulfillment in something is not completed until it has been expressed outwardly. So lovers have to continually tell each other, I love you, no, I love you, no, I love you. Uh, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you, I'm not hanging up. I'm going to, you know, you, not because the other, I mean, I know it's gross, but and not because, not because the other person doesn't believe or need to hear. They just have to express it. C.S. Lewis says, one of the worst things in life is to see a beautiful scene of nature and not be able to tell anybody about it or experience it with them. Or to hear a great joke and have nobody to tell it to. Because we are people that have to express it. That's what I was thinking about. I'd read that earlier and I was thinking about it because um, we, we did something we haven't done in a long, long time. Uh, the other night, we all went out as a family and stayed out late. Now, we weren't, you know, ripping it up in downtown Nashville with Ava, but we went to a drive-in movie theater, all right? Anybody been to a drive-in? Okay. Been to the one in Watertown. Anybody been there in Watertown? You go to Watertown there, you pay, this is amazing, you pay $7.50 and you get two movies. Now, that's a pretty good deal. And when you got a family of like 20 like we do, it usually costs like, $200 to go to the movies now, right? And so we all loaded up and we went and we were going just because we had not seen um, the new movie Turbo that came out, you know. When, when you have kids like I do, your movie choices are radically different, all right? They have two screens there. On one screen was Grown Ups 2 and The Conjuring. We were watching Turbo and Despicable Me 2, all right? Much better choices, all right? Um, so we were watching turbo and we got through with turbo and you know they don't start the movie till it's dark so it's like 10 30 11 o'clock and we just go let's just stay so we we stayed out till 1 30 in the morning Woo! susan i've been married 15 years this coming week and we hadn't stayed out till 1 30 in the morning since we've been married about eight months all right <laughs> new year's eve first year we went to downtown fort worth so it's just, you know, we were out late. But we're sitting there, and we, we got seated, and it was just a cool scene. You know, it, it really feels like something out of a different time. People pulling their chairs out. They got their hatches up. People are, you, the, you know, they now put it on the, if you haven't been in a long time, they put it on the radio for you. So you got it playing in your radio there. And it's just this really neat scene. And my thought is, this is really cool. And 
The only people that know we're here are us. I gotta let some people know this is cool. Right? So I took like 20 pictures and picked the one that you liked and you put it up on Instagram and you share it and you put it on Facebook and then you start seeing people like it and commenting on it. And don't you get a little sense of it? Like people are noticing that we're, and it's not like, hey, look at us. We're doing so much something cool. And there are people that put stuff on Facebook just to say, I'm cooler than you are. But that's not what we were doing, all right? Because we had to express it. Ava took her first steps the other day. Susan was like, part of, half of the recording I took is, did you get that? Is it on there? Yes, we got it. <laughs> you know, edit that out. Let's, you know, and then she had to take one of her own and we had to put, because we want to share that kind of stuff. Praise is the completion of our enjoyment. The old Presbyterian catechism says that it is our duty to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And a lot of people have taken that to mean two different things. But to me, they're exactly the same. The way that you glorify Him is by enjoying Him. The way that you enjoy Him is by glorifying Him. It is all together. And you get the sense from Psalm 150 that these people were passionate in their praise of their God. Here's the simple reality. If Jesus Christ has gotten a hold of your heart and He has saved you from your sin and eternal damnation and hell and He has set you on a path that includes something greater than you can ever imagine and includes a life today that is more meaningful and powerful than anything you could have expected on your own, then there ought to be something inside of you that can't wait to let people know and to sing the praises of our God Almighty. It will bubble to the surface. So my question is, what's preventing your passion? What has thwarted the passion in your life that prevents you from not dancing down the aisles in your skivvies, but living a life of joy and praise to the Lord? Let's pray together.